0: I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show.
1: I had been thinking, weirdly, that my whole foot needed to be on the board, my entire flat foot, but actually the board is small enough that you're only your toes should be on the board if the dream that you had forever is just now dead that is wild right but if a goal is over and your dream is still alive and well like now we can start making new goals there's so many wonderful things to do in this life and i'm like i'd be willing to hang my hat on that
0: hey ladies you may have heard me talk about Gainswave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gainswave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gainswave for her. Of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner buy six treatments and get one free hello friends get ready for a fantastic show with elite international heptathlete named shari hawkins and boy i got way more than i bargained for with this amazing young woman who I was looking forward to talking to her about her amazing competitive exploits. She's an incredible high jumper along with the other six events that she competes in in the grueling sport of heptathlon in track and field. Uh, She's made it to the very highest level competing in the world championships. And she's also had numerous struggles and setbacks. And as the show proceeds, it's going to get pretty deep and pretty heavy and reflective. And I think you're going to love this amazing perspective that Shari has developed through trials and tribulations, as well as success. And she talks about her long battle with crippling performance anxiety in association with these high-level competitions and how she didn't give up. She had to persevere. She had to work through it. And then she experienced some breakthroughs in perspective and attitude and a tremendous amount of self-reflection. And through that self-reflection, she has realized some of the highest ideals of being an athlete, being a peak performer, and also being focused on the process and on giving back. And she's created this wonderful mental training course titled 30 Days with Shari. You can read all about it on her website, sharihawkins.com, C-H-A-R-I. She's an Instagram sensation. That's how I originally found her. And I was so impressed with her Uh, professionalism and the seriousness with which she uh, created these very informative, helpful posts with little coaching tips for athletes and exercisers, and everything was really high production value. And all this is quite rare for a currently competing elite athlete. So we talk a lot about the, the mental aspects of peak performance, and then we talk about the professionalism and what it's like to be An athlete in a sport like track and field, where uh, frankly, there's not a million, multi million dollar guaranteed contracts running around like you see in the other sports, and uh, people have to scramble and scrape to make a living. And it's pretty, it's a pretty rough road. And she has excelled for a long time with greater heights in front of her. I think you're going to love the tremendous uh, thoughtfulness and perspective that she offers in this wide-ranging interview with Shari Hawkins. And you can tell she's such a natural when she starts throwing some questions back at me now and then. And I think she has a future as a a TV personality, podcast host, among many other things. So uh, you're going to dig her. Here she goes. It's Shari, the heptathlete. But hey, that's not her identity. She's Shari, the all-around cool person. (laughs) Here we go. Shari Hawkins, I am so glad to connect with you after watching from afar, the amazing athletic exploits of the heptathlete. And I guess we should start by saying hi and turning it over to you and explaining this amazing career and the most incredible track and field event that you participate in
1: yes thank you so much for having me on here um my name is shari hawkins for anybody who most people probably all of the people that are watching don't know who i am but, um, i'm a team usa heptathlete so uh that's track and field it's seven events over the course of two days so we kind of just do We're we're the kind of people like You know we used to say like jack of all traits master of um none kind of a thing uh we weren't good enough to do just one event so we had to do all of them um that's like always kind of like the standing joke so we start off day one we go hurdles high jump shot put 200 then we come back the next day we do long jump javelin and the 800 and i mean i remember one time we started i think we started at 9 a.m and our last event of the day was 9 p.m and that's a 12-hour day right and obviously we're not working out for that entire 12 hours but like when you're competing like i don't know if you ever do this but when you're competing like you're you're pretty like high up on the like aware like your your sympathetic nervous system kicks in more than it should and like all that stuff so it it's it can be like really exhausting so it's a it's a fun game to play of how we can get our brains to calm down and our bodies to work when it needs to work and um, move where it needs to move, when it needs to move. It's it's really fun. It's challenging, but it's awesome.
0: Uh, I used to get that same comment about being a triathlete, where oh, you're not quite good enough to be an Olympic runner or r- r- ride in the Tour de France. And people would ask me, uh, so oh, you're a triathlete? That's great. Swim, bike, run. What's your best event? And I would uh, I developed a wise ass answer after a while and it was my best event is the triathlon and they say no no i mean of the three and i said that is my answer because you realize that you have to turn into this athlete that's um doing seven different things over two days and 12 hour days and that is an event in itself and so i think you know we we fortunately have celebrated going back with uh bruce jenner and the decathletes and bob mathias and people appreciate that the greatest female athlete and the greatest male athlete might get that moniker from from doing such an amazing uh, overall performance and the amazing training regimen that's required.
1: Yeah, I actually remember uh, when I was in in college and I was doing the heptathlon and we had, all of a sudden we had this influx of heptathletes and I was so excited because I wasn't training by myself. So I was like, yes, like, this is so great. Um, and my coach finally, because we were just having people walk on and become heptathletes, um, which is fabulous. I think everybody should give it a shot. Like, and if you're listening to this and you go to college, walk on and be like, I'm just going to be a heptathlete. And here's why, because at first, like usually coaches will be like, okay, cool. Like, let's give it a try. And it's so fun. So try it. Um, and you might be really good at it. Um, but after a while, I remember my coach ended up being like, no we need to find be, she's like, I'm learning that the worst I used to think the worst athlete, I'll just make them a heptathlete. And I'm realizing that only the best athletes can be the mm,
0: heptathlete. Nice.
1: Um, and so uh, she's like, it's one of those things that you have to be good at everything. You can't just not be good at one thing. That's, that's what it is. So it, I, we, we shifted it in a, in a positive light. It was really fun, but yeah it was it was I thought it was really fun for me because I was like yay teammates so I loved it um it was so
0: fun well especially when you get to the elite level it's absolutely stunning how good you have to be in each one because if you're even great at six of the seven events you're gonna get left so far behind or you screw up like you you miss a hurdle and you fall your entire meet is over not just a bad a bad run through the hurdles maybe explain some of the um how the scoring works and how that precision is required in every single event
1: yeah so the way that it works is basically the better you do the higher your score is going to be so it has nothing to do with place you could take dead last in an event and only lose 20 points because uh you did just as like you did almost as good it was just such a tight race right um So it really has nothing to do with place and everything to do with um, your your event. So if you run really fast in the hurdles, like if you run even faster, you'll get more points. Um, And basically uh, that's just like how it rocks. And some of the events, like the way that I, my theory, I have no idea if this is true, but I like to throw out theories that aren't harmful. Um, and just make them up as long as it doesn't hurt anybody whatever let's just imagine go with me on this I like to imagine that what they did when they did the heptathlon is they looked at all of the world records and they said okay that's a thousand points so if you can break a world if you can basically break a world record you've gotten a thousand points and then as technology evolved nutrition evolved everything evolved everybody started getting better so there's some events that it's actually kind of easy to break in my mind the old the old world record there's some events that it's really easy to get a thousand points in uh, almost everybody has the opportunity to get a thousand points in like say the hurdles like just about everybody gets that thousand point barrier but it is actually really difficult to get a thousand points in the shot put um uh, the average heptathlete that is like going to world championships will throw between 13 mid and 15 meters um right around there and you have to throw 17 meters to go a thousand points. So two meters is what six feet. So it's a huge, that's that's a huge discrepancy. So it kind of a lot of people will um practice certain events so they can, you know, this one is really high scoring event, so I want to really practice on this, or um, people will say, you know, this is one that not a lot of people score high points on. So if I can be really good in it, then I can have an advantage. Um, which makes it really fun because it kind of goes to show that, um, pretty much like anyone who is, you know, decently athletic and disciplined and isn't going to stop, like they really can do it because you can take so many different angles with it, Mm -hmm. but it does come down to a point where, um, I remember somebody was, uh, so cute. They were like, um, oh like but the thing is, is the heptathon so easy because if you do bad in an event you have seven events to make up for it and i was like oh you're new
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're new <laughs> poor thing yeah,
1: yeah yeah you're new um if you do bad in an event you're in trouble you have a lot of work to do now um but yeah no it's so fun and i think the most fun that i've had is really getting into the mental aspect i mean i've always had fun learning all of the events but Um, You have to, you know, be willing and able to train your mind to be able to not only survive a heptathlon because it is a long time to be able to be focused and stay in it, um, but you have to be able to switch your mindset from the mindset of a hurdler to the mindset of a shot putter Mm. are completely different things so you have to be and high jump oh my goodness high you know um with high jump like you have to be calm cool collected you know um but with hurdles you you got to be like ready to go Mm um you kind of have to create a whole persona for every single event
0: (laughs) yeah you talked about your your seven different personalities and that's such a great visual because you know, getting into e- each event separately and individually, and also shaking off perhaps a poor performance in the stack of seven events going through the two days um, is incredibly important. And that's a skill that I don't think individual event athletes can even conceive of, you know, they either have a great, especially 100 meters, you know, Usain Bolt flies across the world and uh, false starts in the World Championships and goes home, that's it. And, uh, it's, it's something special. I think the, the stuff you mentioned about the point scoring, uh, a couple cool attributes about that for the fans especially is that you see in every single event, every person is trying super hard so you see people diving for the line to take seventh place in their heat of the 200 meters because it's their individual point score yeah. not that it matters even what heat they're in or how they compare to the competition and the other cool part of that i i am assuming this is true we, we've heard these great stories but the camaraderie among multi-event athletes is just so tremendous. There's not that weird competitiveness that we often see where the two best middle distance guys can't train together because they beat each other up. You, you generally see, um, you know, training hard all day long in so many events and you guys helping each other out, especially when you have relative strengths and weaknesses.
1: Yeah, the the great thing about the heptathlon is like we when it comes to especially competition, I think that, you know, we're all going to fight as hard as we can, but at the end of the day, like we are all really all into this together, um, and not it, we we. I think that we all joke like none of us actually want to be here, but everybody wants to be here, you know, kind of a thing. And <laughs> so, like because of that, like we we band together and we um, we cheer for each other, and like at the end of the day, like my whole thing too is learning how to. Be happy for people who do well and say, like, I want you to do your best. I want you to do super well. I just want to beat you. That's all like I want. And it's not that I want to beat you. It's like I want my best to be the best, you know, like that's really what it is. But it doesn't mean that I want you to do poorly. Right. So it's it's a cool it's a really cool sport, really cool event for sure.
0: Now, um, who invented that collapsing at the end of the 800 meters? And how did that become a tradition? Cause it seems like everybody like agrees to do it. It's just such a relief after the seven events are over, but it's pretty funny to see the athletes. Are you talking about like out. when we just
1: follow the ground?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So here's who invented it. Whoever invented the heptathlon, because imagine, <laughs> I always say this, I actually say this to my 800 runners. Imagine if you only ran one time per week. That's, and then you went and you went on the line and you had to run a whole 800, like in a race and you, you only practiced one time a week.
0: Kill you, like huh? we,
1: we only run for the 800 once a week, everything else. We're really working on that fast switch. We're really working on like getting as fast and as powerful and explosive. And because everything else like, and then we exhaust ourselves one time per week. So when we cross the line we cannot stand up (laughs) and so i think like that's really what it is i don't know if it i don't know if it's just like oh yeah like we're all gonna like collapse at the end i think it's like genuinely we have nothing left in our legs to give (laughs) it's it's over
0: (laughs) awesome Uh, so take us back to college when you started to I suppose drift over or, or, or try out a multi-event competition mm-hmm. and then how did that progression went from uh, being being a collegiate athlete and then uh, envisioning this path where you could make this your profession?
1: Yeah, so I was recruited for the heptathlon. Um, I was in, in high school. I went to school in Idaho and I was the state champion in three of the events. So it was just one of those things where that was it was um high jump long jump hurdles they were like hey that's a heptathlete so i was recruited for the heptathlon so
0: you were the state champ in three of the seven events that is a pretty good recruit right there i would i would yeah yeah and um, i was
1: just yeah and i was just a silly gal too like um like uh i remember out of uh college um I used to get told like, you're just so immature. And I'm like, thank you, that's so great. But it's because I thought everything was hilarious. I was always bouncing off walls. And so I'm sure that college coaches were like, okay, that girl has energy, like, let's see what she's got. Um, But I think that my biggest issue is when I was in college, I started getting like some really severe performance anxiety. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that was actually the reason that I decided to go pro because I just knew that I had a lot more to give. Oh, um, and I I didn't feel comfortable. Maybe it was FOMO. I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable stopping. I felt like I still needed to go because there was just I hadn't reached my full potential yet, and I just didn't like the way that that felt. I I knew that there was going to be all of my life to live a different life than track and field, and I I just this this chapter wasn't finished yet, and so um, that's why you know. I didn't have a plan at all. I just started like asking questions. My biggest, honestly, my biggest advice to anybody who wants to get into something and doesn't know where to start the, the, where the place to start is to start asking people, because mm. somebody's going to know somebody who knows who somebody who knows, mm. and then it's going to get you to where you need to go. You'll never get the answers to a question you don't ask. And so I started asking people like, Hey, I, how, how would I start, my professional career and somebody gave me the phone number of somebody who could potentially send me workouts and then i could just work out on my own and then that person was like let me give you contact information for somebody who actually has a track club for hip athletes like give them a call and that's how i became a pro i ended up joining the santa barbara track club and so um started loved it my performance anxiety was just overwhelming it never got better and i Mm. i think like as a professional athlete, I was like, well, like I'll, I'm a professional now, like I should you're allowed to be anxious. a completely different person, <laughs> right? Like, and oh. it's like, no, turns out like you're the same. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was still just getting overwhelming anxiety, debilitating, like my coach who is phenomenal, lo- like love him, love what I've learned, what I learned from him, loved his track club. It was just so awesome. But he saw how much pain I was in every day, just like crying at practice during runs, like for no reason. Mm-hmm. And he came to me, he's like, you know, like, I do think you need to start making other plans. I just don't think this is for you. And he, he was coming from only a positive place. He was just seeing how unhappy I was. And he was like, this, this girl is like such a happy person. And she's just crying all the time, like having anxiety all the time. Like, this is not where this should go. And so I ended up being like, I just know in my heart that I can't stop. So I moved to England. I found an opportunity to be able to go get my master's degree in education. And I had my bachelor's in education as well. So I was like, let me go get my master's and I'll give it everything that I have. Cause I was going to, I was able to train there, get my master's. And I was like, I'm going to give everything that I have. And, um, if I don't get better, mm. then I'll come back and I'll have my master's degree. And then, if I do get better, then we'll go we'll keep going, so I ended up giving it everything I fully rededicated myself to the sport truly. Um, Instead of just showing up I was preparing Um, instead of just being there, I was concentrating instead of just eating foods, I was like trying to find out what foods were going to be best for me like I really went for it and I put I mean I think I put like 180 points onto my score in one year. Wow. So which is which is pretty good. And so I was like, okay, like I can do this. We went, moved back. We came to San Diego. Um and that was the like, it, its own whole story of how I ended up in San Diego. But now I'm training here. I love it. It's um been an incredible journey. But uh yeah, it's so crazy. Everybody's story is so different and random and crazy.
0: So you've been very expressive about your struggles, and I think it's a tremendous help to other athletes to, to come forward and, and talk about it freely. And I'm wondering, well, we go back to college where you report, you know, building up this this tremendous performance anxiety, but you had this goofy outward persona. Um, I wonder if that was sort of a, a screen for, um, you know, masking what was going on inside and also like what was the origin of all this performance anxiety because if you're a fun loving free spirited person, um, and then all of a sudden there's a dark side. Um, it, it's it's sort of something to um, to reconcile I wonder if you if you have reflections on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually see like I I actually see like what you mean by like oh like would it be a mask? I will say that I've been goofy and weird like my whole life, so um, I would say probably not. Um, what I would say though is it probably was more difficult for me to talk about because um, everybody assumed or maybe I was expected to be happy-go-lucky all the time. Mm. And so um, I actually do remember I was having a full-blown panic attack in the bathroom. And I was like laying down and my friend came over and was like, what's wrong? And he's like, like, what's like, but really like what's wrong, like with you, like, cle- like it like, probably look like, this is just like not who you are. Like, what are you doing? And it was, I was so embarrassed. I remember being like really embarrassed. So it probably made it like probably a little more difficult to talk about. Mm. Um, I think that the biggest aha for me in mental health, because I assumed at the time that it was just an experience and Mm. this is very normal. And I just don't like, the more I do it, the better I'll get. And I was just waiting year after year after year for my anxiety to just go away. Like expecting that eventually I was going to get where I needed to go. Mm. And so don't worry about it, you know, and it wasn't until 2019, uh so i graduated um high school in 2010 so nine years later is when i finally figured out my anxiety like nine years never not one time did i compete without a full-blown panic attack not once um and it was my last panic attack was 2019 indoor championships there was to be fair there was a lot going on that caused the anxiety attack but um I just lost it. Right. And my body sees like literally seized up on me. I was a robot and I started Charlie and then I pulled my hamstring. Like my my body just rejected the premise of me doing and I was in phenomenal shape. I was super healthy. I'm I'm very, I'm actually very hyper mobile, like very, very, very hypermobile. So I don't pull hamstrings mm-hmm. very often. You know what I mean? And so it was my body was just like rejection no i'm not doing this again and so i remember telling my parents at the meet i was like i'm not doing this anymore and i think they thought like i'm not doing track anymore but i meant like i'm not doing this like whole mm. anxiety thing anymore mm, i'm not like,
0: doing this not. whole thing i'm, I'm done not with doing that.
1: it i'm not doing it anymore i'm so sick of this and so i just like i said before i just started asking questions I started asking every single person I knew, like, do you have anxiety? Do you ever like get there like, mm-hmm. "Um, what? And I was like, can you like, cause I'm getting it. And like, w- what are your thoughts? Like, what do you think? And I, every single person would give me their feedback, like just, just breathe, like just this, just mm-hmm. like that, just this. And I was like, okay, that's not helpful. Um, you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and finally, you know, after, like I said, if you just keep asking, you're gonna get the answer. And after a while, somebody was started talking about like athletes who have it and athletes who don't have it, and it just like just kind of depends on like it's a personality thing. Mm. And they were saying like it's a personality thing, like that's just who you are, kind of a thing. And I was like, really, dang it, like that's too bad, <laughs> yeah,
0: really. Bad and answer. I was
1: just like, yeah, because like I will say that so and so just like doesn't get anxiety. And something they said was like yeah like she she just like i don't think she understands the gravity of competition so she doesn't put it as like what life goes around and i was like wait what he's like yeah like she doesn't like make it life like because she doesn't understand like the gravity of competition like other people do and in my mind i was thinking like the gravity of competition and it like clicked in my head that for all of those years i was attaching my value as a person to my competition the gravity of the competition was so extreme that I had attached my actual human value. Like if you win, and I think it stemmed from like praise and ignoring, Um, you know, when when somebody does bad and you see them and you don't wanna upset them. So you kind of just like give them their space, Mm -hmm. you know like I wanna give them their space. But if somebody does really well, you wanna congratulate them. So you're in their space, right? And I think that year after year after year, I had noticed that like, if I did really well, people would come up to me and congratulate me and like, you did amazing. Um, And if I didn't do well, it wasn't like, hey, like, listen, you're literally a phenomenal athlete. Like we all have those days, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, don't worry about it. Like you got this next time, who cares? Like, I don't care, you don't care. Nobody cares. And I never got that even by my coaches. My coaches would give me space. Like, and I wasn't like a I wasn't like a throwing chairs or like anything yeah. like that. It was just, I think people didn't want to upset me. So they were like, I'm gonna give her space. Like, we'll talk about it later. Like, you know what I mean? And I think I had just subconsciously attached this, like, people care about me when I win. Yeah. And people don't care about me when I don't win. And so I had attached this, like, I better freaking win. Like, there's a lot at stake here. And so I really like went and did a lot of work with that and just had to kind of ask myself and do some shadow work and say like, Hey self, like, do you think that you are worthy? Like whether you win or whether you don't win. And I was like, yeah, like, of course Mm -hmm. And they're like,
0: you (laughs) want to act
1: like it. And that was a huge moment for me. It really was. It was, and that was the last time I had a full blown panic attack. Mm -hmm. But I will say that it is not where my mental training journey started. It was just, it it, it is, but I still like, they always say that like sports is 80% mental, right? So I realized that I wasn't training any part of my mental brain. Mm -hmm. And so like, yes, I was no longer having anxiety, but as a professional heptathlete, I wasn't winning anything. I was always coming in like third, fourth, sixth, fifth, just like at any given meet, any given meet. And I, it was like, I had just placed myself in this little cushy, like mid range, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm not sure if you know, but like, that's not very fun. (laughs) No, like, you know, like, not with training
0: eight hours a day. No. Yeah. Like how,
1: why am I not, have I like, how come I haven't like, the, like trained, why am I not training to win? Like why? And, and when I compete, like I almost felt like I was going into it, not expecting to win. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's when I kind of started my journey of talking to sports psychologists well. And I had been talking to sports psychologists, but I was trying to get rid of my anxiety at that time. So this was more just like, how can we take it to the next level? Talking to coaches, how can I take it to the next level and asking every question that I could. And, um, a lot of the people that I would talk to would give me answers um, to questions I had, but then I remember somebody asked me, you know, Shari, how do I start my own mental journey? Because I talk a lot, a lot about it on my social platforms. I talk a lot about like, hey, mental training, like, da da da. And people were like, how do I start? Like, how do I even start that? And in my brain, I was like, I have no idea how to start that. I I wouldn't even know where to start. I I just ask. I just ask somebody who tells me what to do like i don't know how to start but i was like the one thing i will say is that i'm a teacher and i have my bachelor's and master's and like one thing i know how to do is put together a curriculum um and so i just started making a list of every single thing that has ever helped me whether it was something that i learned on my own something that somebody has taught me something i've learned over the years Um, or just like my own personal journaling, like I just went through every single thing and I put together like all of the most potent stuff and I just started writing it out. And that was a huge, that was the biggest game changer because it took me from somebody who was showing up, like, let's see what we got Mm -hmm. to somebody who was like, I have a plan. Mm -hmm. I'm here to execute it. Let's freaking go. Mm -hmm. And I went from like not winning, like anything as professional, hip athlete. To I won like last year I ended up winning three gold medals in in competition. I won um the American Championship for indoor. I dang near took third, but I fouled all three of my long jumps at oh. World Championships. But oh. um that was a bummer. But hey, like we wait, came you fouled
0: back. all three, and so you didn't get three more is something like so. That? What or happens you...
1: is you only get three attempts. Yeah. Um, if you foul all three, you get a zero. And so you can't you can't recover for that one. And I was in I was in third place. I think fourth place was I think 160 points below me. So it was bummer. It was a bummer. And you know what's crazy is I remember the last jump. I was like, we're gonna we're not even gonna touch the board. We're gonna be on the back of the board. We're gonna go. And I took like a whole like this much back. And I was like, we're gonna be on the back of the board. You're gonna go for it. And you're gonna be on the back of the board. And even though you're on the back of the board, you're gonna jump so far that it's gonna, oh. it's still gonna it's still gonna be a great jump. And like you're it's gonna be fine, you know. And I I mean, that's like that. That's mm-hmm. good mental. Nice. T- like I went for it. I took time and but, you know, like it was a fast track. I went too, I went a little too much and I fouled. And it was like the, and you know what? I actually learned why I fouled before. I mean, afterwards, um after analyzing and everything, is um I had been thinking weirdly that my whole foot on the board um i my whole foot needed to be on the board my entire flat foot mm-hmm. but actually the board is small enough that your only your toes should be on the board mm-hmm. if you put your whole foot on the board um you will fall mm-hmm. and i think that i thought that i was like um my my entire foot was on the board but i was like it, it, anyways, that's that's its own thing. That was just like a in case anybody's a long jumper and they're fouling a lot, maybe that was something that they did. But uh, yeah, so um, I won the indoor um, USA Championships. Um, I won the an international uh, meet at Arona, and there's one more that I don't know why. Oh, and I won Thorpe Cup, which was my first mm-hmm. Team USA um, uh, stuff. So it was just like it was an amazing year. Uh, a year that I've never had because I've never had such a winning year and every time I went into a competition um it was the first time I went into a competition without being like let's see where this goes um I felt like I finally had like the eye of a tiger like let's freaking go I got this So it was huge. It was game changing.
0: So it's a huge difference from coming to competition with anxiety. I'm wondering if the anxiety kicked in during training or only when you were actually at a meet.
1: Yeah. Um, mostly at a meet, um, especially as I continued going, um, my, but it would definitely come in practice as well, but it was definitely during meet. I mean, um, I don't know if you've been at a track meet indoor for a while, but they have like the little timers and they're like little tents and then they show the time on the front. Yeah. I remember one time I went underneath that little tent because I was about to start having a full panic attack. And I didn't want anybody to see me. Like it was pretty rough. It was really, really rough, but yeah, it was, a it was a huge shift and huge change. And it, I get, it's so crazy because, it doesn't mean I don't get nervous. I mean, Mm -hmm. nerves don't equal anxiety. Nerves Mm -hmm. are good things, you know, but now I get excited to compete. I look forward to my competitions and like, I'm like, oh my gosh, let's freaking go. Let's freaking go. Let's freaking go. I want to go instead of, oh my goodness. No. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, let's get this over with. Let's get this over with, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just, it's a completely different mindset shift. And I feel, I feel like, so happy and also I wish I could go back in time and do this program Mm. that I like the curriculum and the purposeful thing like so much earlier
0: yeah I guess this was your journey and that's how it was meant to be totally Um, but it, it it's it's amazing because really it's incredibly difficult to unwire those those pathways that get wired every time you have an anxiety episode in association with competition now you freaking get out of the parking lot and walk into the stadium and you're at risk because uh, it's it's a familiar pattern and um even the um reporting of finishing in those middle positions it's it's likely that um you know you're you're afraid to fail as well as afraid to break through Um. and reach your highest potential and so you're kind of stuck in this. Um, this point where your self-esteem is attached to the outcome of what you're doing. And it's a really um, fragile and risky place to operate in. I think all listeners can relate. Your examples are going to be more extreme because they're in the sporting arena where everyone's watching and um, wondering why you're crawling under the tent. But when we attach our self-esteem to uh, the workplace and getting the promotion or not, or or whatever it is, um, boy, it's it's just a rough road and it's very difficult to extricate from
1: yeah and do you know what's interesting is you know we talked about this a little earlier before we started um but it's just so crazy how so many things change in life and so it's just so important to like continue your progression so by no means am i saying here now i have the full key and Mm -hmm. it's gonna unlock every door (laughs) and all that kind of stuff because there are you you know you mentioned something like um like earlier you said, Oh, I can't even remember what you were talking about. You're dang it. It was a really good point. I had it in my head. Um, we were talking, we were talking about like with, Oh yeah. The
0: ongoing journey with diet. I think we were talking about and yeah, yeah, um, no, no,
1: for sure. I was going to relate it to what we were talking about, but my brain was too excited about it, I think. But, um, regardless, like at the end, at the end of the day, like it's all a journey. And it changes and I'm I still have so many things that I'm working on, you know, like you had mentioned something earlier and it, when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, like I I still don't have that in a perfect, you know, habit. And there's still things I'm unlearning. Um, things about like my potential that I'm like, okay, like can I do it? Oh, you were talking about that's what it was. We got it. We got it. Um, you were talking about like being in like the middle of the pack and um that was something that like subconsciously like maybe that i was working on and um that's something that like i'm still working through and i've had breakthroughs and the more i work on it the more breakthroughs i have but you know they they just they say that sports are just so mental Mm -hmm. and there's just why why don't we train mentally like really Mm -hmm. like I think it's because for me, it was because I didn't know what that looked like, I think Um, I didn't know what training mentally looked like, whereas like with us with um, my sport, I have a coach who would tell me exactly what we're doing every day and we build on a pyramid. So we build with, we lay, we lay the base, um, with, um, stability and mobility, then we go to building strength. Then we go to building power. Then we go to building plyometric movement. So we build on that pyramid. It makes so much sense. I know exactly why we're doing everything, but when it comes to mental training, it is there's, there was just no structure to it. Um, and that's like why I like wanted to dive so deep into it because, um, it's so important, but we don't know where to start.
0: Yeah, that's disappointing to hear from an elite level athlete, especially that those resources aren't there waving in your face, saying, Hey, let's put you through our six-week course at Colorado Springs, because you show potential to be uh Olympic level. And it it, it seems appropriate, especially with um all the Increasing attention now on mental health for athletes, with Michael Phelps' documentary that he was highlighted in, the weight of gold, and uh, and Simone Biles and and Naomi Osaka. Um, it, it seems like it's still floating out there. I'm, I'd rather hear that you um, you signed up for the uh, the Olympic course and and, and turned your whole uh, mentality around, but you're, you're kind of left to your own devices and questioning the crap out of everyone that you come across at a track meet. That's um, that's a rough way to go.
1: Yeah. I actually have a question for you. Like, what are your thoughts on, um, Olympians, like finding like themselves depressed after the Olympics? Like, what are your uh, thoughts on that? Doing what? Like when they talk about like how a lot of Olympians, like they find them, they find themselves after the Olympics are over, like just kind of in a depressive state, like yeah, they feel depressed. Good question.
0: Um, I think your path is, uh, revealing the, um, you know, the, the risks involved with uh competing so intensely and attaching your self-esteem to the outcome and i competed as a pro triathlete for nine years and i had to go through those same um, recalibrations myself. And I think what helped me was concurrently getting my ass kicked royally and sent home in the baggage department of the airplane. And then uh, then the next time I turn around, I'm winning the race. And so having those extreme ups and downs where I have my heart set on, on success and I get the doors blown off and then actually being able to experience success pretty soon you have to let go of the roller coaster ride and realize that you're in it for the journey and the personal growth that's offered with both success and failure and it sounds like you what's amazing about your story too is that you report that this is a decade of your life where you're enduring this pain and suffering and not giving up so i think secretly if we um went behind the curtain you had the secret the whole time like you were committed to the process no matter what even with the pain and suffering that you didn't deserve because you were dealing with um the mental health overlay that just you know uh, struck you down but you kept going and you persevered. And so now it's like, finally, you can kind of reap the rewards, not only from moving up in the rankings, but just having this peaceful existence where you're doing something that you love. And it's not going to be shattered glass if you uh, foul three times on the long jump, although that totally sucks. No, no two ways about it? it. It just does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, yeah, like, ah, okay, well, all right, well, let's move forward. Um, mm. yeah, no, I agree with you for sure. I think that, um, my biggest thing was that I think I was waiting. I was waiting for a breakthrough to happen mm. instead of like having a plan to fix and create a breakthrough. Mm. And for me, and I talk about this in um, what what I'm calling, you know, thirty days with Shari. Um, that's that curriculum that I talked to you about that I made for myself, and am making available to um, others as well. And I'm really excited about it. But we, I actually do mention that I think the difference um, for, like, my opinion on why people who either train their entire lives and like they put their entire lives on hold. All that what I do like all the time, every single thing has to do a track. Like my parents call me, hey, are you gonna be able to come to the family reunion? No. Hey, are you gonna be able to make it home um, for Thanksgiving? No. Um I I have to train. And they totally understand, they get it, but it's like you have to put your whole life, hey, do you guys want to start a family soon? No. Well because we can't right now we will eventually, I'm sure. But like no, like your, your life kind of goes on hold. But then in 2021, I didn't make the Olympic team. And in 2019, I did make the team. So I thought I was going to make the Olympics. Like I thought I was going to become an Olympian. And when that was stripped for me, like I was depressed. And I, I would say probably that same, like when Olympics, when Olympians, and I obviously can't know personally, when Olympians come home, from the Olympics and they're feeling depressed, like Mm. imagine not going, you know, you you watching it from the sideline thinking I I need to be there. I mean, it's it's pretty depressing. And what I found in my own journey was and I talk about this in um, within my little program is that I was attaching my goals um, like they were my dreams. Mm -hmm. and you know with dreams like in my opinion like our dreams are our life purpose and what we really hope to do in this world and like our ultimate like it never ends like a dream really never ends it's congruent it's like always there but and goals are stepping stones to help us get our dreams and I think we were we were making goals into dreams (laughs) um
0: I get you I get you
1: and uh so when our dream either doesn't happen our dream our life purpose our whole thing that we're attaching our entire life to doesn't happen or is now over that's pretty depressing you know Mm -hmm. in general like if you if you're if the dream that you had forever is just now dead and now you don't have a dream like it does seem like that is wild right um but if a goal is over and your dream is still alive mm-hmm. and well like now we can start making new goals we can start making new things and i think that sometimes even those little mindset shifts can be huge and it was huge for me um this year um was pretty wild because i made <clears throat> qualified for world indoors went to world indoors i had to come home and five weeks later i had outdoor championships mm-hmm. to qualify for world outdoors five weeks i hadn't even picked up a javelin all year because i was focused on indoor. Um i also had like um a family tragedy in that moment. I was still trying to lick my wounds from not getting a, goal on a bronze mm-hmm. medal at world championships and i got really sick. Um so i didn't i wasn't able to train for two full weeks before the actual competition and i ended up taking fourth. Um and only top 3 go to worlds. However, there's like a little bit of a thing. It's it's really weird. But if you if you get the standard or you're mm. fall within the ranking, um, and people in the top three don't, you still get to go to worlds. So what happened was I was in the top ranking. The girl who took silver on that day, she was not in the ranking. So I thought I was going to go to worlds. I was super excited. I was prepared. Um I think it was a week, a week and a half, a week and a half before a week and a half before Worlds started, I had been training all season, we were good. Um, so many girls dropped out of the competition there were, because it was a, a Commonwealth year. Um, so many girls dropped out that the girl that was ranked below, she popped right up into place. Shari is no longer going to Worlds. Um, and so, first of all, I'm so, I was so happy for the girl that went because it was her first World Championship how exciting is that like we all like i've been to worlds it's so exciting i was so thrilled It has, like i said with the heptathlon it's a lot of camaraderie we're really happy for our competitors we just hope to beat them right that's mm-hmm. just like what it is but at the end of the day i used truly i used in that moment a lot of the tools that i had learned to detach myself from world championships and say like okay you know what like I made worlds indoor. I am a world-class heptathlete. This has nothing to do with me. And this has everything to do with circumstance and everything mm-hmm. happens for a reason. My, I do not have a dream that is dead right now. Mm-hmm. Everything is okay, you know? Nice. And I would never have been able to have that mindset mm-hmm. without this, like never. I would have cried and I would have been mad at everybody. And I would have fallen into this deep dark depression, but instead, I was like, "Everything happens for a reason." I was actually still able to go to World Championships because um, not to compete, unfortunately. But um, the World Championships, when they found out that I didn't qual- that I didn't end up making it, asked me to host one of their shows that they were doing. So it ended up oh. being like amazing; it was a great experience, um, yeah, and I think it all it, worked it, out. Like okay. I said, everything happens for a reason, and. Um, it's so interesting because with our sport, it's so easy to attach ourselves mm-hmm. to our sport and to let it be life and death. And learning that it is something that we love to do and it's not who we are is like game changing. And it's hard to do, but you can learn it and there's a process. So it's really cool.
0: Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, Hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, there's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture. Of butter spices whatever you want into the tray pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor are you getting hungry i am <laughs> let's go to schwankgrills.com s-c-h-w-a-n-k grills.com and up your home cooking game this is a one-of-a-kind grill i have a great discount code for you of course it's brad 150 to save 150 dollars off your purchase of a schwank grill Yeah, it's especially hard to do, I think, because in many ways, the athletes are exploited for our personal entertainment and uh, the sponsors and the fans. And that part is uh, a little disturbing for me because, um, you know, it's it's tough enough being an athlete. And then when we, uh, you know, overly celebrate you when you succeed and then give you your space quote unquote um that's a good lesson for all listeners like you know approach an athlete who just failed and say hey how you doing you know are you going to go get some ribs for dinner it's not uh it doesn't have to be life or death unless everyone walks around on eggshells and um right. uh yeah it's 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 a tough one but I think uh, if I can offer some uh like Reflection here at this advanced age of 57 years old, decades removed from my career as a triathlete, now all my results are in a file folder in the back of a file cabinet. And so they have virtually no significance to my everyday life except as memories. And uh the ups and downs and even the even the great triumphs and especially the failures, uh, they're they're inconsequential. And today, like when I sneak into the, the track and field facility during COVID and bring my own standard and throw them over the fence and clear the high jump bar and scream it's it's the same feeling inside as when i won the national championships and triathlon was on espn and getting a big check and and being celebrated by sponsors and and getting all this attention and so it's really what's inside that matters and i'm saying this because like hey you didn't make whatever uh, team you were hoping to or compete in this big event. But if you go and win the Shari training invitational at the Chula Vista track in front of uh, 12 adoring fans and set a new PR, that might be a milestone in your life that you'd never forget and can carry as just as much significance as this overhyped Olympic dream that um, the athletes are forced to buy into because we've choked it down their throats with marketing dollars. And that, that part's silly to me, where, um, why are the Olympics more important than you setting a PR at the season opener? Um, you know, all comers at heptathlon,
1: yeah, it is. Um, that is a good point, and it is so crazy because, um, just the way I think that people love seeing people do amazing things, right? Um, but they've created such a pressure cooker, yeah, that, um, there are people who are just incredible, but it is stifling if um, if you are given too much space, um, from whether it's space from your sponsors decide to give you space um, and like sometimes you Give you the world... space
0: with a, a letter saying you're, you're done and oh yeah. my gosh, welcome
1: yeah. Welcome to my 2021 after I didn't make the Olympic team. It happens, people give you space, they really do. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to, um, detach yourself from a sport that everybody attaches you to, um, so it's not just you attaching yourself to it, Mm -hmm. but other people are attaching you to it. And, um, I think like, also if like, I have any athletes watching, I would probably say like, um, when I say like be three-dimensional, um, like because track is so fun and it's something that you love to do um but how else can you bring value to the world you know like how else mm. you know you um you're uh incredible you're a professional triathlete like you're a you're like an incredible high jumper like you have a top 10 podcast right now like that's incredible like All of these things like there's so much that that you've accomplished. But at the end of the day, like what brings you value is like what you give to others like this podcast is amazing. And like the 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 reason why it's so cool to get that feat is because you're reaching so many people and you're helping them. Right. Like that's like milestones like um, with my social media, I hit a new milestone with uh, my follower account, which was really exciting. But at the end of the day, like what I really think is that it's exciting that I love teaching on my platform. I love uh, sharing on my platform and I love helping people. And like the more people that follow me, the more people I get to help. And that's what matters. Like, how can you take what you're doing right now in track and field? How can you give it back to other people? Because at the end of the day, like if that is the what's important, the winning isn't going to be as much because when you fall, you can help other people. You can use your story to help people who fall because we all fall. And so if your story is going to help somebody else get back up, like it's a blessing that you felt because you're going to get back up. You, you're some, I, I, I may as well fall because I know I'm going to get back up. And by me getting back up, I can help others get up as well. And um, it's, yeah, it, it's so incredible to like, be an Olympian and be an Olympic champion and be a world record holder. And like, that is so incredible. And it's should be absolutely something that you want to strive to be. Every time you're doing something, you should step up and try to be the best at it. But how can you also use what you're doing to bring value to the world and to, um, be valuable in like more ways than just like, wow, you're, you're amazing to watch because you're just like so incredible. It's like, wow, like, you make me want to be a better person, you know, you want make me want to work harder as an athlete, you make me want to forgive myself more. And I think that that's what I inevitably have learned to hope to accomplish. And it's Mm -hmm. allowed me a lot to kind of detach, which has been super helpful.
0: Yeah, that's that's very well said and it it occurs to me that maybe uh some of the the greatest athletes that we worship who have just sailed through life as number one and never really had this tremendous adversity and don't know what an anxiety attack is and just keep winning racking up gold medals and and titles um sometimes they're the ones that have difficulty adjusting and uh, I'm thinking of Michael Phelps because he shared, you know, all his struggles, and all he did was win 24 gold medals. He didn't have to like recalibrate and maybe uh, reflect on how he's possibly giving back more or how he could, you know, change course because he's just racking up more titles. And so maybe it's a gift that uh, not everything comes easy, uh, especially in your athletic story. And you made a nice transition there because I want to talk about how you've, um, uh, you know, become. Uh, the consummate professional as an athlete and really um, leveraged your the hard work that you do to connect with this community and your sensational Instagram account, which you can, you can tell us what milestone you hit, but it, it's some of the best content out there. And to realize that you're actually a real athlete, when I first stumbled upon it, I'm like, wait, this girl's a world level competitor, because there's a lot of professionals on Instagram that are monetizing that look great, they have all the lighting and the fashion. And here you're doing sort of a, a similarly professional uh, offering, but you're also an actual athlete.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, really, so what, how this, how my Instagram even got started to be honest is my coach was, uh, when I was in Santa Barbara, my coach was super like, Hey, you need a training journal. And I just would forget my training journal, or I just wouldn't want to write in it. And I love training journals now. Right. I love them. I talk about them in my, um, in my experience that I created um but um I love them but I back then I was just like this is not it so I used my Instagram because I had no followers on Instagram it was like my mom like hey mom (laughs) and um and I was like I'm just gonna use my Instagram for my training journal. And I'm going to kind of, I'm going to get like my top video, um, that I did that I really liked that. I want to remember, and I'm going to post it. And then I'm going to say all the things that I learned. And so that way, when it's time for me to high jump next, I can pull up my last Instagram post on high jump. And I can just kind of go through, like, I can watch what I did because I'm i I'm a really visual and like, be like, okay, like, yes, I loved that. I did that. And then it was like, look at the knee drive. Uh, blah, blah, blah 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 and that's kind of like how it started um and then I d- had the Olympic trials in 2016 and I threw the javelin it like ricocheted off my head and it like went like Rrr. and then it and then that went viral um and it's so interesting <laughs> because it did not go viral in a good way it mm-hmm. wasn't like a funny like oh my gosh that's so crazy it was like this girl's a waste of an athlete. Like imagine choking this hard at the Olympic trials, like, um, like all this stuff. But what I did is I just was like, yeah, I know we should like, we should like murder her. You know, like I would just like, like uh-huh. from my own account, I would just uh-huh. be, like, I know I hate her because um, you know, I like, she's so annoying. Like go, all with, that the flow.
0: go with the flow. Um,
1: and it was just like, it was just like really funny. It was like light and whatever. And uh, it like kind of turned into like this, like hilarious, like um me kind of like teasing myself while I'm doing my little practice journals and then I made my first team USA and that was just kind of like where it like kind of took off and so it turned from me just doing my training journals to me showing you how I'm doing things Mm -hmm. and kind of turning in from like a me coaching myself and reflecting on my practices to me coaching others and so it's so fun I love it um I, like I said, I have my degree, my degree in education, both my master's and my bachelor's and, uh, and yeah, it was just like really fun and, uh, I've loved it. It's been like a blast. I actually, I'm also on TikTok and so TikTok is like a super fun community too. And, uh, I'm on, I'm hopefully I'm going to be able to start my YouTube a little bit more. Um, I do, I am on YouTube already and I have like all of my like in-depth tutorials and stuff on there, but hopefully we'll be able to do some vlogging soon and all that kind of stuff. But it is like, you know, but it's like a full-time job Mm. to like get that done. And I don't have like, I have like, I have some people on my team, but like, I don't have like a whole team yet. So a lot of it's done by like my own self. And so, Uh, It's a it's a whole it's a whole full time job, but it is really fun to to be able to do.
0: So tell us how that works. You can you can talk about your specifics as much as you're comfortable. But just in general, um, it's it's not an easy sport to uh, sustain a professional career Mm -hmm. and make a large income unless you're really a top winner. And so what kind of opportunities have you leveraged uh, off the track? whereby you know we know about the shoe contracts and if you win you get a few bucks and if you don't you get a letter that um, you know that that dumps you out and so um, it seems as though you're you're putting all this effort into um, your your public image hopefully you're leveraging that and able to um, you know bring in appropriate partners that allow you to live the lifestyle and, and continue to compete professionally but what's it like for um maybe some of your peers who aren't doing that and are just relying on results how does that look and then how have you uh, seen some other opportunities
1: yeah so i wasn't i i was um fortunate enough to start kind of um supplementing just being able to live in california and like being able to pay my rent um in 2019 so and i joined i the professional circuit in 2016 so My biggest thing, if I were to like give advice to somebody who was like, I need a job, I would say, okay, first of all, I need you to start working on your social media, like trying to bring it up so that that can be something that you can help supplement your income with. Um, And the second thing that I would say is go find a nanny job um because that's what i i just was a nanny and a babysitter when i was young and my undergrad is in education but it's in child also it's in family consumer science so child had child care and education was part of that and so um i and i'm also the youngest of five kids and i've been an aunt since i was 12 so i love 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 children the way that people are like oh can i hang out with your dog i'd be like can I have your child like, like I love, 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 love kids. Um, so uh, my biggest thing was I had a, a seven year old girl that I would pick up after school. So I would have practice in the morning. We'd be done by one um, 30 I'd pick her up at three 30 and her and I would just hang out. I'd help her with her homework. It's really chill. Like, well, we'd watch a movie every once in a while, we'd go to the beach. Like it was super chill. Um, She has stuff to do, you know what I mean? So Mm. you can, I taught her how to foam roll and we foam rolled together, (laughs) you know, like do all the- Taught her how to high jump or
0: take some approaches, taught her how to load the bar again if it gets knocked off.
1: Yep, we'll do, oh, like let's stretch, you know, let's do some yoga, like like it's super um, adjustable and um, it helped me, I mean, it put me through two years of living in Santa Barbara and then I also ended up i'm like a i'm a big saver with my money, and so I was able to pay for my. um, master's degree in cash, no I didn't have to take out a loan or anything, so um, it was definitely like a sustainable job that I was able to hold and then on the weekends, I would babysit for another family and I was able to rest do what I needed to do because we talked about earlier um before we started about how when we compete and we're training and we're going like sometimes we just need to be like you know we we cannot be like so mentally going 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 I remember I had a teammate who she was a waitress mm-hmm. um and so she would just be a waitress she made great money but she would come to practice she'd be exhausted she got mm-hmm. hurt all year you know it was really tricky for her. So my, my thing is always just like, if you can do social media, that is the best because you can find partners who are not only invested in like you and they want you to be like successful, but like they, they want to like, they want to help you on your journey. Like how can we help you get better? You know? And so those are like, that's like always just such a great, um, a, a great thing. And I always anytime an athlete comes to me and is like, hey, how can I do like, I'm like, let's talk, let's talk, I, w- I want to help you like,
0: Ooh, I maybe have so you can many... open a consulting operation for other yeah. athletes. I like that. Let me ask, or it doesn't seem like there's that many elite level athletes that are doing what you're doing.
1: It's it's hard. Um yeah. I, I think that's like um, a lot of people because you're not guaranteed to make money um, yeah. with it. And so a lot of athletes like they could spend you know um five hours on their off day um batching <laughs> content for yeah. for the next week they could absolutely do that but they also have to they have to work they they have to find a way to make money so it's it is hard like i i felt uh i feel really lucky that um while i was in england i was able to build up a little bit of a following and so that when i came back to america like i could really focus on it and i could make it like a priority for me um but it is, it is difficult. I think that's why a lot of people aren't doing it is because um, if you want to post every day, like the best way to do it is just on your off day, like hire a photographer and go batch a lot of content back to back to back to back. And then um, that way you can have content for the week. Um, That's probably like the best advice I could give, but it's tricky. It's tough. Um, And then staying active, you know, we're so um, sometimes, um, I'll be like, oh man, like I didn't get anything for my stories for practice. I was so in it. I was just so focused. Like I wasn't paying attention. Um, and that it's, it's tough. It's, you really have to have it on my like, front of mind, but at the same time, I really do like everything that I can to when I'm here, I'm here. Um, I'm not like I, something you'll notice is I don't when I don't have a lot of stuff of me like out with friends or like out with my husband or like anything like that, because I try to put my phone down when I'm with my family, (laughs) when I'm with, if I'm doing like super exciting things, phone down. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody happens to get a video of me doing something fun and they send it to me, like maybe I'll post it, but like I want to make sure that I am unplugged as much as possible while still giving as much information as I can and helping as many people as I can. It is a balance for sure.
0: Well, you're doing a great job. And I suppose that you now have partners that um, appreciate your social media contribution as well as your performance. So they're it's more of an all-encompassing partnership rather than looking at your I mean I've seen those ridiculous contracts where uh, a professional track and field athlete even a high level one you know you'll you'll have a a bonus schedule first second third in in major competitions and it's still not that much money uh, compared to the amount of attention they bring and then if you're not performing um, you're, you're pretty much getting free boxes of shoes so it seems like you'd be way more valuable than someone who may or may not be contending for a medal and might be off the back the next the next year and um
1: i think it definitely like lowers the stress um Mm -hmm. because when i when i do you know talk to companies about potentially um sponsoring me um and i say this to all of my the consultant you know um all of my like my I guess my peers, cause it's a lot of hip athletes and every once in a while, I'll get a high jumper or I'll get a like that, that'll that contact me. But I'm like, I get so excited to help because it is, it is a struggle out there. So mm-hmm. I will not gatekeep any information. Like my biggest thing is, um, I always like to, um, within the contracts now is just like, talk about like, okay. Like, um, with social media, like let's, let's keep it on the social media side if we can, because I don't need, I don't need any more. I put enough stress on myself, you know, like as athletes, we can, we, all we do is train. So it's like, we put enough stress on ourselves. We don't need our sponsors doing that for us. We need our sponsors in the background with signs saying, go, Shari," you mm-hmm. know, like, um, we don't need them to be like, all right, like, they, mm-hmm. what did you get her time as, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. We need them. We need them cheering for us, like our own parents would cheer for us. And so it definitely takes a lot of pressure off and any athlete that's looking to, you know, get sponsors, like I would say that always work on your performance, but work on your performance for you, you know, work on Uh your performance, like so that you can be better so that you can progress because that's what you want out of life. You want continued progression, like, you know, um, and that's why I work so hard instead of I'm working hard so I can get a a sponsor. Uh like my advice would be work hard on the social media aspect Mm. and um then work hard in your sports because of you because you'll get a lot better results if Mm. you do that you'll have a lot more fun if you do that you'll have a lot less stress if you do that and then yeah and and your contracts will be more fun uh when it's on the social media side than versus when it's on the the performance aspect Mm -hmm. there's a lot less pressure (laughs)
0: love it fantastic yeah the relationship can extend even through uh, if you're done competing that's how the best brand ambassadors are of course that's a good Um, point so you've created this incredible learning opportunity and I I think we should um end with a description of how this how this whole thing came about and what it's all about but before we get there uh, a meter point 85 in the high jump I want to know how the heck you can jump that high which is such an amazing you. accomplishment.
1: I'm going to show you something, okay? Oh, so I, I, jumped one, I jumped one. I so, She's on
0: the move, people. So I
1: jumped one eighty four when I was. Um,
0: What's that in inches, uh, feet, and inches? What, so
1: one eighty five is uh, six one. One eighty four <laughs> is like six six feet and
0: something. Mm-hmm. So you're and well page, over your head.
1: And you can see this little line. Oh Yeah,
0: she's got right a here. mark on so the wall, people. This
1: line. <laughs> This line um, was where I um, where I was um, looking almost every day uh, because during the pandemic I didn't have access to any track facilities, mm. so I couldn't get on a high jump pit. And um, my PB was 183 at the time, and I hadn't jumped 183 since I was in college. Um, I had jumped 182, I jumped 181 a bunch of times, but just like couldn't you know what I mean, um, but then at the Olympic trials, I I didn't have a track so I couldn't j- practice jumping so I would visualize that line and I would jump and I would jump and I would jump and I cleared um, 184 at the Olympic trials on my first attempt
0: your first attempt, unbelievable,
1: clean, clean bar up until then. And that was a huge, um, that was like when I first started using like genuine mental training, Mm. uh, like probably I had probably started working my, my, with my sports psychologist on that and like really started like working on like things and practicing things, um, for the first time, uh, like maybe six weeks earlier. So, It was a huge deal, and that that tape that I showed you, um, that was uh, that's 193. So that's like my hairy, scary goal of mm. like I would love, love, love to jump, which I think 193 is six three. So it's yeah. only two inches higher than what only. like I'm jumping now. So it's like it's doable. It.
0: Okay, um, if you say so, so. I love it. All but right. you
1: can see you can see like where I was and like where it was above my head. So that's like the that's the bar that like. I'm coming coming for you.
0: So we should get an artist to paint a a beautiful mural or get one of those fathead posters. You know, those cutout things that used to be popular. (gasps) Yeah. Let's get you high jumping real, real life. Yeah. Life Mm -hmm. size. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's fun. I love it. But yeah, no. So yeah, there's just a lot of like just silly things like that. Um, and learning how to get into the flow state. I talk about Mm. like a lot. I've talked about that in my program and, um, there was a lot of stuff that helped me um mainly be consistent in the high jump. Um, so this year uh was when I jumped 185. I jumped 184 at the trials. Um, but to jump the 185, it was so interesting because um I had jumped 184 at the Olympic trials and then the next year. I was jumping 184 I was jumping 184 I was jumping 184 jump 185 and it's just so interesting how um with it was I went years I jumped 183 and then I went years without jumping Mm. 183 again and it's like now I'm finding myself with like that mental training the learning how to get into the flow state all that kind of stuff like I'm finding myself just continuing to get better and continuing to stay consistent. And I think that that's like the most exciting thing is when you're like finding yourself like, oh, is all this work I'm doing paying off? Like, (laughs) so it's really exciting.
0: Amazing, let's uh, hear about this opportunity that we have to learn about mental training with you.
1: Okay. So I have talked a lot about it, um, about like my journey with mental health and how, you know, when I worked with sports psychologists, it was super random. People were coming up to me, like, how do I get started? And I was like, I have no idea. So I created 30 Days with Shari. So it's very well named because it explains Mm -hmm. it a lot. It's 30 days um, of mental training exercises. And basically I teach you that one plus one is two before I teach you that, two plus two, two times two is four, you know, kind of a thing you you have to learn step one before you can learn step 30. Mm. And every day, um, there's going to be basically three things. There's going to be a podcast where I just kind of teach you um, the tool that I um, learned, what it is, how we can use it. Um, and I give you very concrete steps, very like step one, step two, step three, so that you can practice it for yourself. And it's not just like, you know, when people talk about positive self-talk mm. um, and at the end of the day, like that's a really, it's one of the tools that I talk about, but I give you how to do positive self-talk, how you can actually recreate it for yourself. So that's kind of what the podcast is, me talking about that. Then afterwards I give you what, I'm, what I call an everyday amazing challenge. Mm. Um, and it's a challenge that um, really allows you to practice the tool. Um, but it also helps rewire your brain a little bit so that when you say that you're gonna do something, you actually follow through. So over 30 days, you're gonna accept a challenge and you're gonna follow through with that challenge, mm-hmm. and you're gonna basically retrain your brain that when you accept something, you do it. Mm-hmm. Um just kind of like giving you that um thing. And then afterwards, um, after that, the third thing we do is we do a daily burn. So it's just a little quick hit uh-huh. workout
0: uh, where
1: where we just practice the tool that we did. Like you might want to quit, but remember mm-hmm. today we're talking about da And so I want you to tap into that right now and I want you to finish this strong kind of a thing. So we do like a fun little workout. So you get a podcast, you get a challenge, you get a workout, and we're going to do that for 30 days.
0: And how do we uh, enroll in this? Where do we find it?
1: So it's going to be at sharihawkins.com and my name is spelled C-H-A-R-I sharihawkins.com and uh there'll be like a video so you can check out like a little bit more behind like how i got into it and um just uh more explanation and um it's super easy to sign up you create it, you sign up you create a login a username a password and you have your own dashboard and you actually can have the dashboard for free you don't actually have to buy the program to have the dashboard and just with the dashboard it's it's just as like it says hi brad and then um it'll have a quote every day from me um so you can if you want to do that that's free and then um if you want to get the program later you can absolutely do that as well Mm. um but yeah so super exciting and um really fun and uh, I think it'll be like a challenging thing. Whether you're somebody who wants to learn about, you know, mental training, and you're a competitive athlete that wants to get better, or whether you're just somebody who loves personal progression, loves, uh, like getting better in any capacity, or just like wants to do a fun little challenge for 30 days, like it's a really, really fun one. And if you have like a goal in mind that you're like, I'd love to get this done in 30 days, it's a great goal accelerator and helping you to kind of get that goal. Um, ready to go so to keep you on task all that good stuff so it's really fun
0: love it sounds fantastic i can't wait to share the information get people signing up and for you uh it's a good time to be an elite track and field athlete because we got we got stuff in the mix here with the um the, the delays caused by a quarantine um we've had an olympics we've had a worlds and now right in front of our face next year we got another worlds and another olympics yeah plans i know for so the crazy what are your plans?
1: So my biggest thing for me is um, I start my season in October. So I'm really excited. Training starts in October, it's October 10th. And we'll go do indoor, we'll do out outdoor. And what I promised myself after 2021 is that I was only going to take things one year at a time. And uh, mostly because I ask myself three questions at the end of every year. Um, is this still genuinely fun? Am I mm-hmm. still enjoying this? Um, Am I still getting better? Like truly, am I still getting better? Because if I feel like I've reached my fullest potential and I am the best that I could be truly, like I'm good. Like I have so many, there's so many wonderful things to do in this life. And I'm like, I'd be willing to hang my hat on that. Um, But am I still getting better? And um, does it still make sense for Mm. like my life? Um, I'm 31 years old. Um, I have a husband. I'm not sure where our plans are for like, when we want to start a family or if we want to start a family, we both have family. We're in California. We have family in Utah and in Idaho. And mm. where do we want to live? do we want to be close to family? Like right now, this life makes absolute sense for us, but we also, I want to take into consideration, you know, life. And I always say like, life is too important not um, to take it too seriously and mm. same with chalk. Like it's all like, we, we don't want to take it too seriously, but at the same time, like we genuinely want to make sure that, you know, we're not, I'm not making track. The only thing that could ever be positive mm-hmm. in my life, you know, sure. it's important to, and I actually like for you, like when you decided to retire, like what was kind of the deciding factor for that?
0: Oh my gosh! Listen, people, you have a future in TV, in in podcast hosting. It's just it's such a joy to connect with you, and I love throwing these questions back at me. Um, fortunately for me, it was like getting my ass kicked was the um, the way my my path out of the sport with a clean slate and no unfinished business. And so I feel like in some cases, it might be difficult to go out on top, because it's like, then you're like a surfer, uh, you know, you had the greatest wave of the day, you're not going to go in to the shore on the great wave, you're going to be wanting to go for more and more. And then you're going to sit out there and, and um, it's not going to Yeah, right, you're going to be at the end of the set, you're, you're just wasting another 30 minutes. So for me, I think um, it was revealed that I had hit my peak but when you're at your peak you never know you're at your peak you're just ah. thinking how can i get faster <laughs> and uh, win when by a little greater of a margin or whatever you start to get greedy or all these things that are driving you continued forward um, but then when you hit a peak and come down and i remember in training because you know we're in we're in a career that's so graphic and intense uh, where you learn the lessons of success and failure right in front of your face um you know i i know that i could run from uh, the river to the green gate at the top of the trail, uh, in, in 15 minutes and four seconds at my best, when I went and won races on international circuit. And when I look at my watch a couple of years later and I'm at 1622, I'm like, okay, well, that's, um, a little, a little indicator that I'm gonna go get my butt kicked. And, um, it's a really beautiful, graceful thing to experience that, you know, um, I've had my run and now I face reality and you know it's going to come every day for an athlete sometimes by surprise uh but it's okay and again just going back to what what seems to be your the the, the great takeaway from your journey that it's all about the process so yeah um, as long asking those three questions it seems like a wonderful tool for all athletes rather than just blindly for, forging ahead and not thinking things through especially the um the, the fun part and um, a youth coach told me this once where um, the most important thing is not to have fun in youth sports. That's what everyone says as a as a throwaway line. The most important mm-hmm. thing is to give the youth a personal growth experience because mm-hmm. the, the kids can go have fun uh, throwing water balloons at the park and uh, you know, not not anything organized or having that competitive aspect. And so what we're going, going for, especially in elite sport, where you're dedicating your your heart and soul to it, is that personal growth aspect of it. And yeah, yeah it's not always fun um, recovering from your gnarly ankle surgery. I'm sure it was no fun at all until you got back and got over your first high bar.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, I have another question. When you uh, were finished, did you go through like a depressive spout where you were a little lost?
0: uh possibly uh heading toward the the finish when i'm seeing the writing on the wall Mm. um it it was rough and and super frustrating to realize that despite my best efforts i'd already reached my peak and was on the other side of it and you know what shari was super valuable for me were a couple wise-ass people in my life that told me the straight scoop rather than um, holding the pom-poms and cheerleading, which like you relate, we really, really need that. And we right. surround ourselves with this winning team that are supporting and encouraging us all times, no matter yeah. what, even if you get your butt kicked and you're not looking so good. Um, but you know I'd have a couple friends, one of them in particular, an Aussie by the name of Peter, and he lives in San Diego, so he's your neighbor. And he'd call oh, me hey. up after my races and he'd say Kearns you suck now I remember when you were great I remember when you dropped all those guys after the bike ride and went off on the 10k in one by two minutes now look at you you got freaking seventh and those guys aren't that good in front of you you suck goodbye and he'd hang up and it would be fun loving and lighthearted but deep down cry for days I mean (laughs) deep down he was right And he was the only one out of the next hundred phone calls, emails, whatever words of uh, encouragement. Um, And he'd do it over and over. And then I remember at the end of this was my, my last year when I was really um, just hanging on by a thread, you know, and I, I finally won a race, but it was a podunk race. It wasn't like a major, major thing, but I was, you know, still satisfied. When you win a race, you win a race. And I was like, I can't wait till he calls tomorrow and congratulates the winner. And he calls up and he goes, who was second? Uh, never heard of him. Who was third? No, never heard of him. Who was fourth? Never heard of him. You beat nobody. You won a nothing race. Goodbye. <laughs> he, again, he was spot on. Like he was exactly uh, calling out beyond all the fanfare that I could report to my sponsors that I won a race. No, I beat a bunch of nobodies. And um, to see that, you know, that honesty and that reality, um, that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a gift
1: yeah for sure i agree with that um i i agree with some of it <laughs> but because that would literally crush me forever um but like uh i'm a sensitive soul though to be fair um but yeah no, no, me too. Sorry.
0: i mean honestly um you know everyone likes that support and encouragement and sometimes it's rough to hear hear the truth but i think especially like with your coaches um, they're not going to be blowing smoke uh, to an elite level performer. They're going to say, "Hey, you're not getting that uh, that that curve right on your high jump. I want to see you lean in more, or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. it's, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. No, no, it's true. And the thing is, is I guess I guess I had kind of the opposite story because I was told to retire back in <laughs> mm. in 2017, um, and so like in my mind, I'm like, don't listen to don't listen to anybody, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like it is important to also, like what you said, like you were being greedy, right? Be like being able to really look at yourself and say like, in terms of potential and in terms of hope, like what's the difference, you know? And yeah. I think that that is like the biggest thing when I'm done with the year, like, like not what do I hope I can do but what do I know I can actually do and do I feel like I can still get better you know and I think that that's like the biggest thing for me but I ask I like um because I don't know, you know, am I going to go through 2024? Am I going to like get another big growth, like spurt of like energy? You just never know. Right. But, um, that's why I've been asking like a lot of questions, just the way that I asked when I went into professional career, I asked a lot of questions and everybody that I've talked to has said, you know, it was about a year where I was really depressed and year two, I started to kind of get my bearings. And so for me, like, what I'm trying to do is, is, find, you know, I, like I said, I think that what's happening is people are losing their dream. And Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to find my dream that has nothing to do track, track is a goal in pursuit of my dream. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's like what I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is like not detach myself from track because you have to be pretty attached to track. If you're going to do it full time, like, I mean, when season (laughs) starts, like I am tunnel vision when season starts and I love it. I love being tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. I adore track. I love, love, love track. I love learning. and I love growing. I love progressing all that stuff. Um, but uh, in terms of just this whole life and I'm so grateful for it and maybe I'll be doing it through 2024. Hopefully that is the case. And, um, but I know I'm going to do it to, through 2023. Um, so that's like what I'm going to be focused on and, it's going to be super great and I'm going to continue, you know, asking questions and pushing my mind and training my brain and getting to the space that I need to be so that at the end of the day, I can hang my hat on everything I do. And I'm not just mm. talking about like hang my hat on a track career, but hang my hat on a practice, hang my hat on a competition, hang my hat on just like this life, what I do, like the mm. meals I eat, everything like that. I can mm. hang my hat and say like, I genuinely feel like this is one step closer to the best version of Shari that I could possibly Mm be. So, uh, yeah, that's the, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good place to end or what, but oh, like it's, that's kind of
0: yeah, very well said. What a, what a wonderful interview uh, way more than I could have dreamed of speaking of dreams. I mean, it's a, just a privilege to talk to a real live elite athlete, but someone with so much depth and uh, all that, you know, desire to contribute and give back. I'm going to tell listeners to go right now to follow you on underscore Shari Hawkins on Instagram some of the best stuff out there and we'll put all the links to your course and how to connect with you in the show notes. So everybody, thank you so much. Shari, great to connect and good luck. We'll be watching you. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much. I appreciate you so much. And we got to keep talking. We got to keep talking about this year because I know that you're just always like learning about like nutrition and you're always like learning new things. And I mean, I'm an elite athlete. I, I want to make sure that I'm capitalizing, optimizing as much as I can. So we'll, well say for sure.
0: If we can have you back sometime, I'm sure we got plenty more things to talk about.
1: Oh, I would love that. I would love literally nothing more than just like pick your brain and I'll be the interviewer next time.
0: Oh my gosh. How fun. <laughs> Shari Hawkins, everybody bringing it. Da, 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 da. I'm pleased to present B-Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure and often contain junk sweeteners especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the SuperFuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows.